Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Yeah, so this is awesome. Uh, we're just hopefully going to continue uh, with, with what's been a great morning so far. Uh, so we get an opportunity to share today, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty impressive passage. I mean, if, it, if they called our pastor, uh, no pressure at all to be preaching on this one. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I've been, I'm not going to lie. I struggled a lot putting this together. A lot of the time, you get a chance to do these things, and they just kind of flow right and what have you, and I don't know if it's just because I just come off vacation and you know, still in vacation mode or what it was, but man, trying to get this thing to kind of come out the way I wanted it has not, has not been easy. Um, it's been really encouraging, and quite often when I put these together at the end of it, that's when I kind of look and say, you know what, God is really speaking to me more than me speaking to you sometimes, but uh, one thing I know is as we go through life together as a church, it really is together. And if he's teaching me something, I have no doubt that uh, we can share in it, because it's not going to be for just me. So, and I just want—I need to take a minute and pray, get my thoughts back together. Jesus, you know, we just—we're so thankful today, God, of everything you've been doing, God, Lord, for everything you do, Lord. I just—I uh, just pray this morning that your words just uh, flow through me, God, that you can reach the hearts here. I know you've got a word for some people here, God, and I just thank you that you allow me to be a vessel for you. Lord, we love you so, so much, and we thank you for everything that you're going to do. You have great plans for us, and you, and you tell us that, God. And we look forward to the day that we see you in that sweet vine by, God. Oh, what a day, what a glorious day that's going to be. Amen. So today's scripture is uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 to 5.11, as was on the screen. I was really glad to see the kids were uh, doing that this morning. That means I was using the right one. Um, you can open up your Bibles, your iPads, get them ready, whatever it is you use. Uh, be a few minutes before we get to it, though, I want to give you a little bit of background on, on, that, on that book and, and what's been going on. So... At the point that this shows up, you know, okay, so Paul's been in Thessalonica and has established a church there. Um, Paul had a real purposeful way of establishing a church. Right? He didn't just run off and say, you know, well, there, there's a group that need, need to hear the word and just go in and just start preaching. He was very methodical. And uh, the, the first thing he did was uh, founding a community. Right? So he, he'd roll into town. He'd start talking, bring people that were kind of like-minded or at least had an interest, kind of like we heard there, right, in, in what's going on in Quebec. You had some people making decisions, some others that are just kind of showing up. And, and that's where he'd start. So I'm getting a little bit of an echo there. Um, and it was a fairly short visit when he went there. Acts 17 tells us that he was there for three Sabbaths. So longest he was there was three weeks. If the first or second day he showed up was the Sabbath, he could have been 15, 16 days. So he wasn't there very long. Um, he was getting really good at this point at getting into town, kind of stirring the pot a little bit, and getting out. So if you, if, that's in Acts 6, 17. If you go back to Acts 16, uh, you remember that's where he's in prison with, with Silas. Right? Cast the, cast the demon out of the girl, walls shaking, doors falling. We all know that story. And it ends with him getting booted out. 
right, getting escorted out of town. So he's getting really good at this, coming in a few weeks, start spreading the gospel message a little bit, and getting out. And you know what? Sometimes I think we spend a little too much time coming up with that detailed plan of how we're going to share the message. How are we going to reach the unsaved? We've got it, we've got it figured out. Right? We'll invite the neighbors for lunch, maybe twice. And the husband's got to take the other husband golfing. You've got, you got to do that. Right? Wife and maybe make some muffins. Maybe a pie if you're really good. Right? You're going to hang out with the kids. That's, a, that's the way to get them in. So we'll have the kids over to the house six to eight times. After the eighth time, we're going to take them out to a youth event. So if they take them out to the youth event three or four times, at some point, mom or dad are going to have to drive them, and that's when we get them. And we come up with these elaborate plans. But, but look at how Paul did it. He just walked in, and the first thing he did was share the message. Right? He didn't worry about what they were having for supper where they were going to meet, who's bringing the coffee and the desserts. It was not that he shared that. And sometimes it wasn't even Paul. Sometimes it was you know, one of his helpers. And they didn't even do it right. And we get all wrapped up about this plan, doing it right. Who knows Apollos? Remember Apollos? Right? So he goes in, shares the message. Paul shows up, and he's like, man, this is awesome, man. You, got, you guys are living it. You got the Holy Spirit in you. They're like, the what? There was no Holy Spirit. Paul didn't even, or Apollos totally forgot to mention that. Right? He baptized them in the baptism of John. You know, kind of old school. He did it wrong, if you will. That's what we'd look at it and say, but he didn't. He shared the gospel message. And that's all he needed to do. Now, Paul could, could work with them and add to it. And we certainly have time to do that, too. But they got the most important thing. They got that message. So that was step one in Paul's plan, founding a community. Step two was shaping that community. So again, this is where Paul or some others would, would, would teach the church, returning to them, right? He would, Paul would return, or he might send one of his helpers. In the case of the Thessalonica, their conversion was really, really quick, really, really dynamic. There was a lot of people making the decision to join the way. And there was a lot of teaching left to do in this stage. After all, he'd only been there three weeks, right? Imagine how many people here decided that they would uh, follow Christ after going to church for three Sundays or less. Not too many. You really got up your game there, Steve. <laughs> it's taken way too long. <laughs> you did, though. You put your hand up. That's awesome. You, you were listening. Oh, even better. It probably would have taken more than three weeks. But there was a lot of work to do, right? So that's step two. We get in, and uh, this, this is where Paul would come in. He'd start talking about the traditions of the church. Now, don't get mad. I know you don't like the word traditions because we're 21st century. We're the big brains. We've got to figure it out. We know the church is about awesome music, comfortable seats, preferably good coffee, before and after. Some places just do it before. Right? About a message that won't offend. No. That's, that's, not, that's not it. When I'm talking about the, the traditions that they were teaching, they were teaching what was called the didache, right? So this was just really about how to live. So that second phase, shaping that community, was just how to live as a Christian. You've heard the gospel message. Now here's some things that you needed to know based on Scripture, based on the life of Christ, based on the fact that they walked with him, 
right? A lot of, a lot of the people that were doing the teaching, they were the apostles, they were there. They saw it. They, they walked it. They lived it. So step one, the gospel message was shared. Step two, living life together as kind of a church family. Step three was stabilizing the community. Why did they need to stabilize it? Because generally after Paul would leave, and I'll just use Paul, it could be Paul and, and or others, they would leave the city, inevitably somebody would come in right behind them and start undoing the stuff that they've been teaching. Okay? Sometimes it was the existing church that was there before them, the Jews, depending where they were. Might not be Jews, not picking on them. Sometimes it was the political leaders. Because all of a sudden they didn't have the power that they had because now somebody was looking for a new king. Sometimes it was people within their own church who wanted to set themselves up to be the leader of that church in that town. Either way, this is where we find the letters to the churches. And the letters really did a few things. And I will get to the, uh, the point at some point, I promise. Number one, they clarified some of the teachings. Right, so if you were only in there for three weeks, there needed to be some clarification. People walked away. We all do it. Walk away on a Sunday. I kind of got what he was talking about. There's a few questions I still have. So they would clarify. They'd expand on the teaching. Uh, if you've got a short message, right? I mean, I look at somebody like a, you know, a Billy Graham and his crusades. Man, somebody got saved there. There's your step one. There better be a step two. Right? Someone needed to follow up with them, and they did. Right? Keep them growing. So that's where they would be. They'd be expanding on the teaching. The third thing was really to bring back in line the teachings that they'd heard. Because, again, some people are, are distorting it a little. Maybe they didn't understand. I'm sure we've all been guilty of that. You're trying to share something with one of your friends. You got it 95% right. right. But there's that little piece that maybe wasn't quite right. Not going to let that deter you from doing it, though, I hope. So this letter is really no different, right? First, uh, First Thessalonians. The letter is established, uh, is there to, to, to establish the followers into just a real deep, deep faith. So the chapter opens with Paul praising how they responded to the gospel. I've got to get caught up to four here in a sec. A reminder that he's speaking with the authority of Jesus. Very, very important. That, that is right in there. It's not Paul's words. It's not Paul's thoughts. These are not my words, not my thoughts. This is on the authority of Jesus. 1-4 said the gospel came to them with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And if you're not getting that when you are listening to the word of God, you need to get focused. You need to sit down and think. If it's not impacting you, if there is no power, you cannot feel the Holy Spirit, there is no conviction, then it's just a book. And there's plenty of books there to read. He talks about how much he misses them, how hard some things have been for them, including the persecution they were facing, uh, how to live an honorable life, if you will. But uh, let's get, that gets us caught up to where we're supposed to be. We're going to take a look at today's scripture. Um, it's a really a scripture full of hope, and that's why we picked some of the songs that we had this morning, and I wanted to have a lot of fun with it. Because it is about hope, despite what that church was going through, or despite what our church, not necessarily these four walls, right, but what our church is going through. Is there persecution today? Darn straight there is. Starting in our prime minister's office. Right? There's a lot of it. doesn't matter what, what these guys were going through individually. They had hope. doesn't matter what I'm going through individually, what you're going through individually. There is hope. 
So let's get, uh, let's get into that and let's read it. You're going to be here some late today. <laughs> On purpose. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 5, 11. We're going to, uh, if you can bring that up on screen, we'll, maybe we'll read together. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. I said together. Let's start again for those who weren't paying attention. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of glory, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Then we head into five. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Oops. You can keep going. Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on the pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like our brothers or others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer through wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just, in fact, as you are doing. Man, there is just a whole boatload of hope in there. Now, we read it quick, so I'm going to break it down a little bit and kind of roll through it um, right from the very beginning. So uh, 4.13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Very important. They're right from the get-go. He's telling you that there was some misinformation there, right? There were some people that weren't quite sure what was going on, how to interpret the things that he's, they're hearing, that they're being taught. We do not want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who had no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. What a promise. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So one of the challenges the church was facing was their lack of understanding of the return of Jesus. Uh, some thought they missed it. It already happened. Others thought uh, those who had already died we're going to miss it. And that, that really hurt them. Right? That, that grieved them a lot. And even today, I know there's a lot of people that can't really wrap their head around that whole piece. And, and that's, you know, that's fine. That might be you. Uh, we're not going to get into deep detail, uh, detail into it, but I'll, I'll share a little bit. The word that jumps out there is sleep. 
those who have fallen asleep, and those who sleep in death. The Greek word is koimao, uh, appears 28 times in the New Testament. K-O-I-M-A-O. The funny part of that word is, in the, in, when you find it, when they've translated it, it's actually translated generally into two different words in the New Testament. One is sleep, like we would think of sleep. Like, I'm tired, I'm going to sleep. Okay? Give you a, an example, Matthew 28, uh, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. Right? Just plain old, the way we would use the word sleep. The second one, was whenever they're talking about a follower or a holy person who's died. These exact same word. Right, so Matthew 27, 52, the bodies of many holy people who had died, that's the word that they translated, were raised to life. And it keeps going. So it's the same thing. You know, Luke 22, when he, going back to just sleeping, when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Again, just a nap. Uh, John 11, 11. This, you know, I mean, here's the story we know. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going to wake him up. Again, using the exact same word to translate it, whether it was nappy time sleep or for a believer, uh, the body being dead. And there's a couple other really good spots there that really kind of help break it down a little bit. Uh, one is uh, that I really like is in 1 Corinthians. He said, after that, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that he appeared to more than 500, so this is when they're seeing Jesus coming back, right? That's what they're talking about. After the resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living and others who were asleep or not living, as we would think. Right, so he's really pointing, they were there. They witnessed, though their bodies had died. So Paul's clearly talking about those who have died in those cases, but he chose to use the word sleep. There's another word he could have used if he was thinking about death the way that we think about death. Uh, the Greek word for that would be exucho. I'm not going to spell that for you. I spent that to figure out how to say it and put it out phonetically. Um, that's the word he uses when he describes Herod's death. Okay, so so not not a real strong follower of Christ, to say the least. Acts twelve twenty three. So immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. That translation from died is died, like we knew it. Not waking up, not coming out of the grave. Actually, I like the King versions there. Instead of died, it says he gave up the ghost. <laughs> we can add that to that list of phrases that we use that come from the Bible that we like to talk about. I like that one. So there was some confusion there. The idea of resurrection was really New Testament thinking to these people. right? So they, they had some tough time trying to, to chew on that and really understand it. Um, until Jesus died, it was a mystery, right? Just one of those biblical mysteries that no one was really going to understand. You could sit around the table all night and, and kind of argue it back and forth and talk about it, but you weren't going to get it 
that idea of resurrection until Jesus. Then it was going to start making sense. Even then it didn't make sense. That's why he needed to bring that up. Unfortunately, my notes kind of jump back and forth here. Get rid of those ones. So for those who were concerned about the family who had already died within the church family, we mentioned that was one of their concerns. Paul assured them that they would uh, indeed be there. They hadn't missed it. It wasn't something they needed to worry about. Uh, As a matter of fact, they were going to precede us. That's what he says. They were going to precede us, meaning himself. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of glory, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Now, is he writing that to us today? You know, when he talks about those of us that are still alive, is that meant for 2018, possibly? Was it meant for when he wrote it, you know, 40, 45, 46 years in? Um, did he think he was going to be alive? I, I bet you he did. If he didn't think that he was going to be alive necessarily, he surely hoped he was going to be. Does anybody really not want to be alive for that, if you're following Christ? And you know he wanted to be part of that. You know he was hoping that it was going to be tomorrow, maybe the day after. Back then, nobody thought it was going to take as long as it did, certainly not 2,000-plus years. I think even today, yeah, I think every, every believer probably just, I would hope, man, I can't imagine if you don't, if you don't think this way, you're hoping it's coming in your lifetime. I've had enough of this world, a lot of parts of it. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Just tell them, and just keep sharing, keep reminding others so we don't become complacent. Heard them talking about that this morning, right? Just talking about the the time, the time you plant a church and being six, seven years in, how it can become complacent, and then the fire's gone. We just, you don't want that to happen. We got to keep reminding one another so we can remember how awesome that idea of heaven and, and the coming is. Because we do get complacent with it. And I can tell because you guys aren't jumping up and down right now when you think about this, which you really should be. I'm not talking about the Leafs winning the cup, which is going to be pretty awesome when it happens. <laughs> if that were to happen, say, June 16, 2019, and the next day Jesus decided that's the day he's showing up, I will care less about the Leafs winning the cup. That's how big this is. So cruising right along in chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. Darn right, thief comes when you're not expecting it. We don't know when it's going to come. We know we can expect it. We just don't know exactly when, and that's fine. We're not called to know when. People will be saying, peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, 
are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are the children of light and the children of day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This text, that little piece that we just read there, that speaks a lot of the rapture, right? Really talking about uh, tying in a lot of what they would have heard in, in, from the Old Testament and some of the prophets and, and really looking at that. We could spend a lot of time on there. We could, uh, we could go back. We could open Daniel 9. We could talk about the seven-year covenant. We can sit down. We can argue pre-tribulation, post-tribulation. If we want to do that, uh, I don't really feel like doing that. We can talk about the need to be prepared. We've had that uh, sermon. We've talked about that many, many times. But that's not where I'm focusing today. So we're just going to keep, keep moving past that. I want to focus instead on the faith that we have that he is indeed going to come again. Okay? And that it's going to be absolutely glorious. Not just a little better than what we have. For God did not appoint us to suffer through wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So by show of hands, how many believe that Jesus died for our sins? Okay. How do we explain that to somebody? Kind of hard. There's a lot to it. I'm not going to give you the answer on how to explain it. I struggle with that myself sometimes. So, so, try to explain it to somebody. Why? It's hard enough to explain what that means, that he died for our sins. It's not that hard to explain why. If you are having a hard time explaining it, just read it. It's right there. Or it was. That's just a picture of the cloud. In 5.10, it says why. He died for us so that, or so because, if you want, whether we are awake or asleep, here's why, that we may live together with him. He didn't look down and say, geez, you've got sin, I'll send my son, he can die for you, just so we can feel better about it. He did it so we can be together again. And that is awesome. So again, it says, encourage one another, build each other up. That's Philadelphia, guys. That's brotherly love that he's talking about there. Not just a sports city. When I say Philadelphia. Uh, so to kind of summarize that, we, I pulled this right from the Gospel Project notes. Uh, just this little chapter. In these last days since the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. I'm not talking these last days, like 2018, looking at the text. Uh, since his resur resurrection and ascension, there have been difficulties for this church. Some have struggled with the hope of death or the hope of the face of death, I should say. Uh, others have struggled with truth in the face of false teachers, which we mentioned. Therefore, the Lord's apostles encouraged the church to hold on to hope, defend the faith because of what we know from Scripture, and that's that Jesus is coming. Until that time comes, uh, let us repent of sin, share the good news of Jesus with others, praise our God and our Savior, and live holy lives while we wait uh, for when he comes to make all things new. I said that was a summary that I pulled out of the book. It is. It is not my summary. You do not get to go home yet. I want to take a look at what this means to us today. Right? You'll hear that sometimes. People come to church. Maybe people who won't go to church. It's just not relevant. Right? It's an old book. So what does that mean to me today? 
Now, I've, I've found for myself the last uh, last couple of years, anyway, I don't know exactly when, uh, probably two years ago-ish, I get the most enjoyment when I'm reading the Bible, or, or I get the most out of it when I'm reading these letters to the churches. I find that's, that's the stuff that really just hits home for me. Uh, I've had some favorite books in the past. I still love James. It's the guy, first guy I want to meet when I get there, I think. But, uh, but these... These letters to the churches have really been impacting me, and I think I know why. Um, can I have that slide again with the, the three steps? This is why I think these letters mean so much to me. So step one, founding the community. Been there. Okay? I joined the church, listened to some messages. I heard the gospel. I got baptized. I hung out with Christians who do not have to be boring. We want to keep that in mind. So next to step one, I can put a little check mark. Maybe a big check mark, man. I got saved there, so that's a big check mark. Step two, shaping the community. I've done my reading, done some Bible studies. I've had pastors who have poured into me and then really helped teach me. I've seen how uh, Christians should live. I've seen how Christians shouldn't live in, in some cases. But again, I'll put a check mark off of there, so there's step two. This is why the letters mean something to me, because I'm at step three now where if Paul was here, he'd be helping me get deeper. He'd be helping me fix some of my inadequacies, if you will, uh, around the, the, my walk and, and the way I live. He'd be helping with me with my theology, because I'm still a work in progress. Thankfully, though, uh, Paul's not here. Why is that thankful? Because instead, I've got the Holy Spirit and the Word of God directly that's going to help me with that. He's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with anybody in this room yet. And that, I think, is exciting. And that's why I'm, I'm finding the letters really, really affect me, because I know that's me. That's step three. Right? I'm one person in that community that he's stabilizing, that they're going back. If you remember, we said why, right, to fix some of the bad teaching that we have or the misunderstandings and really take it up a notch. Not everybody's in the same place as me, and I get that, so, you know, hey, that's fine. When I first started preaching, and someone told me, he said, you know what, you'll never find a message that's for absolutely everybody. Um, then I had a pastor friend came back and said, that's wrong, you can preach the gospel in absolutely any crowd. But I am looking, I'm going to look at three separate groups of people right now. And it's going to cover most people. Most people will fall into one of these three, or maybe kind of straddle the line between two. First, group one is the unbeliever. Might be some here today, I don't know. The thing we need to remember, the church right now is in a different spot than it was 2,000 years ago, for sure. Okay? Uh, for the most part, whether they were Jew or Gentile back in the day, whether they were from Rome, Macedonia, Achaia, it doesn't really matter. They had some knowledge of the Old Testament. Right? If they weren't studying it, they were hearing it. Because you know where church was? It was on the corner right outside the grocery store. It was in the markets. It was there. They were hearing it. It was, it was a big, big part of their day-to-day. -day. Nowadays, not so much. So if you don't have that background, there's two things you need to take from this message. And, and if you're talking to somebody who's a non-Christian, you are a Christian, here's two things for you to take to them. A, there is a God, and it's his desire to someday live with you in heaven. We need to understand that. B, and again, this is for non-believers. There is a heaven. Maybe it's like they show it in the movies. I don't think so. 
buffet table. It's way too small in the movies. It's going to be an awesome place. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't really care. I know it's going to be a place with no suffering. A place with no death. A place with happy tears. If we, uh, we can bring up Revelations 21, 3 to 5. This is how I know because it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. Okay, we're going to be there. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That is awesome. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older things have passed away. And that's where I get a whole lot of hope. Isaiah 25, 6-8, if one reference isn't enough, let's look at another one. On this mountain, okay, and this is talking about heaven, okay? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Lord, are you excited or what? A banquet of aged wine and the best meats and the finest of wines. Again, we're going to sit down. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people the sheet that covers all nations. You remember Moses when he went up the mountain? Right? Had, there was a shroud there. He talks about the shroud coming down when Jesus died because you, you couldn't look upon the face of the, of the Lord. And that's why it was there. Right? It had a veil that he would cover. And we're not going to need that because we're going to be walking and talking and sitting down and having dinner and enjoying God as, as my father the same way I can sit down with my father at home in the exact same way. And it's going to be so awesome. That's for the non-believers. If you are a believer, not a bee believer, okay, not somebody who believes in Justin Bieber. If you're a believer, you need to keep that in mind when you're talking to the non-believers. See, part of the problem when you're talking to them is uh, from the outside in, why would you want to be like me? You know? We talk about, you know, sometimes Christians have that peace when they're going through some troubles. Yeah, that's true. I know a lot that do, and I, I know a lot of unbelievers who, would, who have found that really interesting to them. Right? It's something that really got them thinking. Uh, we say we want to stand out, right? We want to be a light. We want to be the salt. We want to be all those different things. I know some Christians that stand out. I know some non-believers who recognize that they stand out. Still not enough to make them kind of want to come over to the good team. A lot of them see us having too many rules or things being outdated. That's, that's what they're thinking of us, right? I think people want to know there's something better than this life at the end of the day. I think that we think sometimes that it's us. And I know we do because you were all nodded when I talked about, yeah, sometimes we're different. Sometimes we see the peace. That's about us. That's not what they need. I've got nothing to give that people can't find at work or at the gym or at the bottom of a glass somewhere. I can't bring them that. Who wants to live under those kind of rules anyway, if that's all they see that it is? We know that there's something better. Right? We're all in agreement with that as, as, a, as a body of believers. Uh, bad news for you. If, uh, if they're looking for it, they're not going to find it in this church. I'm 
really glad the pastor said that's right. <laughs> that's where he could have hauled me off. He knows where I'm going. Uh, what we can do is, as a church, if you are a non-believer and you're here today, you're not going to find the answer, the answer here in and of the church. What we can do is help you find it, and we are going to show you a way to find it. I cannot give it to you, Steve, cannot give it to you. So that's the non-believers. That's where it should mean something. This passage should mean something to them. New believers. I know there's some in this room because I know some of you. A new believer could be weeks and months. Could be a few years depending on, on your walk and how fast you're growing. And get excited. I've got a slide here from a song that I kind of like. I'm reaching for the highest goal that I might receive the prize. What's the prize that we're going to get to heaven? Pressing onward, pushing every hindrance aside out of my way because I want to know you more, God. So if you're a new believer, you want to consider that. You want to think about that. It's all great. You know, I remember, I remember the day I came to Christ. I remember thinking, man, God's real. And that's all it was about for me at that point, that God was real. The idea of heaven didn't really do anything for me. It wasn't about that. I knew that I could have God in my life here. When you're a new Christian, you've got that fire going in you still, right? You don't want to let that get extinguished. You want to keep your eyes on the prize, like it says there. Keep your eyes on heaven. So that's group two. I'm going to try to speed this up a little bit because we're coming on 12 o'clock. Group three. Those who have been doing this a long time, and that's going to be most of us in this room. I said today the modern church likes to not be offended. Suck it up. And you know anybody who's in a dead-end job? Or maybe you're in a dead-end job. Brother, a sister, a neighbor. This is where we're going to get a little interactive, if that's okay with you. How would you describe somebody in that situation? Anybody in one? How would you describe that, Rodney? The only one brave enough to put up your hand? Not inspirational. Okay, board. Anybody else? Well, mundane. Is that a good one? Routine. Just kind of keep going every day. It's not going to lead to anything. Lifeless. Hopeless. Absolutely. Life sucking, maybe. <laughs> so maybe not life sucking, but other than that one, if we were to take those. I wish I had a way that I could write them on the screen as we had them. But boring, routine, uninspired, lifeless, exhausted, empty. There's a man. Who said that? That was awesome. I like that. Is that a boy? Do you even have a job? <laughs> I know you do this summer. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, is it safe to say, though, if you look around this room, you might use some of those words sometimes? We look around the church. It can be any church. Not necessarily just this one, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's here. Maybe you see it in yourself sometimes, feeling the mundane. Why do you go to church? Because it's Sunday morning. That's what I do. Go to church on Sundays. That's a dead-end job. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to your job? Because it's my job. Is that why I'm going to church? That's scary if, 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 you ever, if you think that that describes how you feel. But again, don't feel bad about it. We've all been there. Eat into the routine. 
with being a Christian. The Bible doesn't call us to be lukewarm. It doesn't tell us to be routine. It doesn't tell us to be okay with it and just see what might happen later. Ride it out. Coming to the church as you feel in that way, you want to check your spirit. You need to get back to where you were when you were saved. I want you just to think about all the, excuse my non-church word, think about all the crap that you've gone through in your 25, 40, 50, 80 years, whatever it's been on this earth, and remember that this is not how God plans it. Think of every crappy thing that's happened. Not the way God had it planned. I want you to remember that Jesus was crucified on the cross so that someday God could feast with you, that he could feast with me. So he can walk with you. And I want you to remember too that you don't deserve it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That eternal life is not here. That is not like this with sickness, death, heartbreak. There are people that are letting you down. The alcoholic jerk, the cheating husband, the wife that doesn't love you anymore, any of those people. It's not about the drug dealers, not about the murderers. It's not about having everlasting life here in this world. Hallelujah that it's not, because that would be horrible. He gave his son to die on that cross. What was the charge? What did it say above his head? Anybody? You know what it should have said? Why he was hanging on the cross? Shouldn't have said King of the Jews. Should have said Chris McPhee. Right there. Or insert your name in it. He wasn't being hung up because he was King of the Jews. He was being strung up there because that was God's plan that he could die for you and he could die for me. The charge was my sin, your sin, but most importantly, it wasn't a boat covering the sin. It was to cover the sin so he could live with us again. Man, oh man, here it comes. We need to be excited about this. It's like that song we sing, man. You called my name and I ran out of that grave. Isn't that something? Out of the darkness into your glorious day, he died, he rose, now I can live with him again. That is so awesome. It's the promise that we read uh, that he's going to come back in, in, in 5, 16, 17. We've already seen it twice. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And I, I just read that and I get excited because I, I, I look at it and I, it's God talking himself, right? We see it in the movies and it's an angel with the trumpet. doesn't say it's the angel's trumpet. doesn't say that at all. It's the trumpet call of God. God's blowing the trumpet. God's coming down with a loud command. And that is exciting. After that, all who are left will be caught up together in the clouds and we will be with the Lord forever. And you can't wrap your head around this. That's okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Remember that word mystery means it's something that we weren't supposed to get. So here he is. He's giving them a nugget, right? The church inquiry. He said, here it is, man. I'm going to explain it to you. You've been trying to figure this out for years. I tell you a mystery. We will not sleep, but we will be changed. Man, we won't die. We're not dying. If you've lost someone, you've got to be excited about seeing them again. We want them here right now, but we're going to see them. I think you're Bob. <laughs> this is Laura's mom and dad, uh, Laura's grandma. 
who, who died recently, uh, just around Easter, actually. Uh, man, we're going to see her again this week, Pine by. I think it's Jenny. I can't wait to meet her, Doug. I've heard so much about her. I can't wait to meet her there. You've lost parents. Maybe there's somebody that isn't lost. Maybe they're, they're sick now. And then struggling. You know, I think of Carisha and praying for her. Man, if God calls her home, that's okay, because I'm going to see her again. It's going to suck when I get that word. But hey, you know what? We'll, we'll be it again. That's exciting. And there's lots of people in, in, in this church that have, that have passed by, that have gone to sleep, to use his words. In the last couple of years, we're going to be together again. We're going to be praising God in the presence of God next time. That's not to say the presence of God isn't here, because I feel that sometimes what I'm talking about, he's going to be sitting right there. He's going to be walking right on next to me. So is it worth it? Is it, is it worth it to go through this life? To have to follow some rules? That's how they see it, right? To have to follow Christ? Try to be devoted to him and try to, try to serve him best you can. Damn straight it is. I know that's not a word I'm supposed to use in church either. This isn't the life that God wanted for us, and we can't forget that. It's what we have right now, though, until he comes back. What a glorious day, man, when he returns. I can't, I can't say that enough. And, man, i got to tell you, I said you're not supposed to be offended. I'm looking out there, and we're talking about this stuff, and I've seen maybe three or four people that even look alive, let alone excited. <laughs> right? Like This is big stuff. This is exciting stuff, man, and you need, you need to get excited about this. And if you're coming to church and you're not feeling it on a given day, I don't care if it's a church, you're at home and you're not feeling it on a given day that the Holy Spirit's with you, you need to look out that window. You need to watch the news, listen to the radio, and remember that this world is not the way God planned it and that we are going to be in a much, much better one, that we're going to see our loved ones again, and most importantly, I'm going to see my daddy. My human daddy is still alive. I'm not talking about him. I'm going to see my daddy in heaven. We're going to hang out, eat. There's going to be no bears. Let's wrap up. Jesus, we just, uh, man, we thank you so, so much, God, that you died for us, Lord, that in you we can find hope. God, I, I just pray for each and every person here, God, that if, if if they're becoming lukewarm, God, that as we, uh, we have those weeks that maybe we're just, we're just not feeling excited about it again, God, give us a reminder. God, give us a vision in our dreams tonight if you need to of what heaven's going to look like. God, show us the people that we're going to see. God, show us how it's going to be. God, get us excited again to follow you each and every day, God. Not that that makes a difference in us getting there, but it just brings us closer to you while you were here. It says you're going to live with us whether we're asleep or not. That leads me to believe that you're going to be in my life even today a little bit. But God, we so look forward to, uh, to being with you. Jesus, I do pray that it comes in our lifetime. Just like Paul did. I've had enough of this. There's things I want to do, Lord. There's things I want to accomplish. I want to be here and watch my kids grow up. But you know, more than that, I'd rather take them to meet you. 
God, I just, I'm so excited about what you're doing, God. I'm so excited about the way today has gone right from the, the, the worship this morning to hearing about what you're doing in Quebec, God, to see what you did with those wonderful kids this week through the leadership in this church and some of the young leaders, God, right to this very moment. So, Lord, I just pray that you just, just touch the hearts. And if there is anybody in this room right now that does not know God personally, that's asking a lot of questions, Again, I want you to remember those two things. Number one, there is a God, and he wants you to live in heaven. And this is your chance right now to say, you know what, God? I want that too, because there is a heaven. So if you don't know him, man, you just say that, and that's all you need. It doesn't need to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be a long process. The gospel message is simple. That God created the earth. We messed it up. We're paying for that, but he wants us back. And all we need to do is look, recognize that Jesus died for us, and that's going to be enough that we can live with him again. So you just tell them that right now. If you do, have never done that before, that you want to have a chance to live with him again, and that you're looking forward to that day when you should pass or if it comes in our lifetime, and that's all it takes. And if you made that decision today, you need to come and you need to talk to, to one of the pastors or myself here today. And man, what a glorious day. The angels will be singing in heaven, I can tell you that. So I love you guys very much. I love you, God. Thank you so, so much. Amen.